Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 17, Visionary, teleplay by John Shirley and directed by Reza Badi. This episode aired on February 27th, 1995. This week on Deep Space Nine, after receiving a minor dose of radiation poisoning, O'Brien inexplicably begins experiencing a series of jumps into the near future. Meanwhile, a Romulan delegation arrives on the station, expecting an intelligence report on the Dominion. Tonight there's gonna be a time heist somewhere in this station. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Um, Jailbreak's been on my mind all day. I don't know why. I almost went with tonight there's gonna be a podcast, but we're recording during the day, so it didn't feel right. I remember, like some of the faces Orion makes when he's like, weird things are happening. But I didn't remember the most important part of the episode, which is that this is the origin of the dartboard at Quark's. (laughs) Yeah, we saw the dartboard last week for the first time. And now it has moved out of the cargo bay and (laughs) into Quark's. I love that this, this has been your weekly dartboard watch <laughs> dartboard like update, weekend up- update. <laughs> um, the dartboard is way more important than weekend update there's like that funny exchange where it's like every bar o'brien's like every pub needs a needs a dartboard they go together like bacon and eggs and quark's like <laughs> yes. at least people order bacon and eggs no one's come That's in and funny. asked for the dartboard <laughs> and then poor yeah. morn gets he gets darted darted <laughs> by quark oh my god Oh, yeah, we're just going to smoke a couple <laughs> fucking darts there, boys. Um, so yeah. this is my over this is my like overall view on this episode. Lay it on me. Well, I, <laughs> well, everyone knows Klingons are the most dramatic. What this episode presupposes is maybe they aren't. <laughs> See, I don't think Klingons are the most dramatic, but. Yeah, no, neither do I. <laughs> um, this, I just, you know, you caught me. I just wanted to make it. You just wanted to do the meme. You wanted to do the joke. Zoolander meme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, it's not from Zoolander. It's from the Royal Tenenbaums. I thought it was Hansel in. No, uh, it's Eli Cash. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. He wrote that book. Right. On Custer. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I know. Um. This episode posed a very interesting question to me. Are the Romulans the most dramatically costumed species in Star Trek? Um, The shoulder pads are unfucking real in this episode. Like, way more than I've ever seen. To the point where I'm chatting to you all about it right now. (laughs) I mean, they're they're definitely up there. Um, I think the most dramatically costume species generally is their forebears the the vulcans because i think vulcans are like low-key high drama queens right and when you think of like you know the vulcan like priests and priestesses and like you know all of like all of that side of vulcan culture they're into the drama honey they're like like they're yeah (laughs) They're living. Work it. 
Um, I do think that's really true, especially of like TOS era and like the movies. Um, because I do think we get to go to Vulcan more in that series. Um, and I would agree that there are some wild costumes. But I still think the Romulans are like, I don't know. They're just like, it seems like it's all about taking up space. Interesting. Interesting. I hated wearing shoulder pads when I was a younger person. Um, and I had a lot of clothes that were, um, that had them in it because growing up in the 90s and, or the late 80s, early 90s, um, shoulder pads were very important, which I feel, um, was kind of wrapped up in that, like, girl boss kind of vibes that were very prominent. Um, I mean, obviously those vibes are still happening, unfortunately. Um, but I think it was in in this whole concept of like, women should be like taken seriously like men and their suits. And I think it was a whole thing. Gender stuff. Wild. Interesting. Yeah. I don't have like full research on that. I just, (laughs) from, it just, yeah, that's how it's like from you. Like, (laughs) Yeah, that, yep. yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Makes you think of business women trying to compete with businessmen. Real uh, so, working girl hours. <laughs> I mean, the shoulder pads work. I'm right? actually. Um. Yeah, it's funny because um, on I think on Hulu here, I've I've been over the weekend. I was kind of flipping through all the movies available to watch, and I I didn't watch it. Or I've seen it before, but, like, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dad came up as, like, an option, which was a film from 1991. And I kind of want to watch it just to see, like, how crazy Joanna Cassidy's characters, um, she plays Rose. Right on top of that Rose. Um, I want to see what her outfits look like. You want to see if it still holds up, Bob? Yeah, that I have a... Yeah, I kind of feel like it might not, but, you know, Christina Applegate, I'm going to watch it. I actually, I know I'm going off on a huge tangent, but I quote that movie very regularly every time I do the dishes. There's a scene where, like, her younger brother is, like, doing the dishes finally after she's yelling at them. And he basically just throws them off the roof and, like, shoots at him with, like, I think a BB gun, but I don't remember. And then at the end is, like, the dishes are done, man. And, like, I say that every time I finish my dishes chores. (laughs) Let's get anyway, dangerous. So, yeah, I've officially said that more times than you now. Um. <laughs> Dark Um. So this episode is timey wimey. I enjoyed this episode a lot. It's fun. We get Double O'Briens. Yeah, Double O'Briens. He gets to watch himself die once. Gets to see <laughs> himself be time. dead a different way. <laughs> and he's like, Julian, how could you let me die? Um, yeah, no, it's it's uh, double the O'Briens, double the suffering. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there should be like in like a double mint gum commercial, but just like two O'Briens. Um, did you have double mint gum in Canada? I think so. Does that exist there? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Uh, I think so. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> it's, yeah. The first time I sorry. No, go ahead. The first time I watched this episode on Friday, not the first time, first time, but like the first time this week, I kind of lost track of like who was the current O'Brien and who was the future or past O'Briens, but. I kind of caught on the second time, but also, like, not really important until the end of the episode, I think. So there's no real um, 
A plot and B plot this week. It's one of those where there's both of like what you could consider the A story and the B story end up being intertwined at the end, right? So mm-hmm. the the reason that O'Brien is time skipping and he has these these visions of the wormhole collapsing and the station being destroyed are directly related to the Romulan presence on the station and you know, all of the, the intelligent stuff there. Um, so I guess we'll, we'll kind of like start with the Romulans and then move over into kind of the, the O'Brien stuff, if that works for you, which I assume it does, because that's how we've structured the notes. Um, <laughs> and we don't, this is only, I think, the second time we've seen the Romulans on, on DS9 after being in... Um, the search parts one and two at, at the beginning of the season. So this is definitely in a lot of ways, a, a follow-up to that, right? Cause again, folks will remember that the reason the defiant has the cloaking device is it's on loan from, from the Romulans to share information. Cause the Romulans have never been into the gamma quadrant and don't have a, have never encountered the dominion. And, you know, they're trying to suss out that threat because as Cisco outlines Romulans like, pulling the strings from behind the scenes, which, hey, yep. I, I totally get that desire. Maybe I'm low-key a Romulan. Um, but I guess, Elise, <laughs> I wanted to ask you what you thought of the Romulans' approach to achieve their goals and, you know, the just wanting to go into the meetings right away and not settle in and stuff like that. Like, how did you feel about the Romulans in this episode? Well, I, I did feel very... Oh, those people are very different from me. Because personally, I'd want to take a shower. I'd want to visit Quarks, have some dinner, you know, before getting into the business. But they are just get to the point. Um, and I think that we have, you know, we've seen the Romulans in TNG and TOS. I just feel like they're constantly trying to solidify how different they are from humans so the fact that like I'd want to relax first, you know, and they're like, no, let's get to the to this, and you find out throughout their whole plot, their whole plot line that they're extremely serious about finding this information. They they do think the Dominion is a huge threat. Um, you know, they're trying to see even you know the Starfleet personal logs of people. I mean, Cisco doesn't let them, but like they're they clearly don't believe in any sort of privacy which is very interesting to me yeah like i don't know if it's necessarily like not believing in privacy completely maybe not respecting other people's yeah privacy, right because like the romulans really like to like accurate. hold things close like hold their cards close to the chest right um and i think it's yeah. just <laughs> maybe not so much not respect it not having privacy but like not respecting boundaries when it comes to their goals and aims about you know getting that kind of intelligence and and getting what they feel they're owed by by loading starfleet the cloaking device for the defiant right right they're all very much let's get down to business to defeat yeah the dominion it seems to me like it might have just been easier for the romulans to like do their own thing um you know, not give the cloaking device to the Defiant and just, you know, deal with 
their the gamma quadrant on their own and i feel like obviously we would not have had this episode um but that is i'm not saying we should not have had this episode or anything yeah. like a lot of the things that happen feel like they're just to serve the the plot like they you know what i mean yeah yeah i think like i mean which is not something i have a problem with at all like it's fine they told a fun story yeah i think i have two responses to that the first one being like the in-universe response where it's like that's very much generally like not the romulan style and again they've gone through various periods over you know the like hundred and some years or 80 and some years of like star trek that we've in universe time that we've seen you know where they've gone into periods of strong isolation um yeah so it's not you're not 100 years old i am (laughs) um so like i think that fits with like their characterization like characterization in universe and then my second response would be from kind of a, a real world production perspective, they wanted to give the Defiant a cloaking device, which is a very anti Gene Roddenberry box rule thing, but Gene's dead now, so they can do it. Um, and then it had the like, they had the like, those rules and the caveats that explained to be able to give the Defiant um, the cloak. So, like, it's interesting to explore the downstream impacts of the way they wrote themselves out of one of the rules of like the Roddenberry box, right. And those very specific conditions, um, whether the show continues to adhere to those rules or doesn't, doesn't, I mean, we'll, we'll see how that goes. We already know the defiant's been cloaked in the alpha quadrant in the episode defiant, which we had Ryan friend of the pod, Ryan on for when Tom Riker and the Maquis steal it. But again, they're not Starfleet. So they're not beholden to those rules, but you yeah. Know. I felt also like the Romulans were very, they were very accusatory to, towards everyone in this episode. They don't understand that Odo is not a founder. They try to use his escapades from the premiere, the search, as proof. And, and Kira as well. They're like, you abandoned the Defiant too early. And then she's trying to explain to them that she was kind of not conscious and... um I do think she covers for Odo here a lot. Um, I don't think Odo was doing something nefarious on purpose. He had that feel. Remember, I'm sure you remember he had that feeling. He had to go to that place to see what was. Yeah, what. he was like a salmon returning home to spawn. Exactly, um, and I do think Kira was covering for him and not explaining all of that to the Romulans because that's not really that would make Odo look bad, you know. I mean, um, in, in yeah, I agree, but... I'm not saying that he... I think that they've already... They don't need to get the Romulans on, like, Odo watch. Like, they've already handled that internally, so I feel like they don't need, like, an outsider person to, like, come in and, like, relitigate it. It's kind of... Like, I'm, I do agree that Odo acted not great in that one scene, but, like, in that one situation, but I think it's, like, already sorted you know yeah no i hear you and i don't i don't disagree but like again like (laughs) not to be too fair to the romulans but like i can see how from their perspective it's it's something they would want to understand more and probe because i I respectfully i probably would too no i i get that completely i just meant like i understand why kira like kind of covers for him a little bit yeah no fair enough and then i guess like on the other side after just standing up 
tacitly for the, the Romulans. I will now take the opposite opinion and speak out of the other side of my mouth. <laughs> um, they have a pretty drastic backup plan if they don't like what they hear in terms of the intelligence reports. <laughs> yeah, which is basically what my off-camera um, idea make like... Like, the fact that they didn't just do all of these things anyway seems, um... I mean, I guess they did. Hmm. I don't think they wanted to, like, rush into doing that, but I think they always knew that's what they wanted to do. It was just about getting as much information as possible, either for them to justify doing something so drastic so covertly, or, um... Or, yeah, keeping trying to, like, keep their options open until the last minute. Because I'm sure they had several different, like, contingency plans, but... Right. I guess I guess my other question, and I'm not... I, it's, this is not, like, a question that I'm expecting you or I to have an answer to, or even anyone to have an answer to, but I'm... Because I don't think it's, like, obvious. I don't remember how many jumps there were. So I don't remember, like, from the beginning of the episode to the time where... Deep Space Nine um, blows up. Like, how long that has been? Like, how long were they getting trying to get information and they weren't satisfied before they went to that other plan? Like, I'm curious because it feels like it was just like a day or two, maybe. That still feels really quick. But yeah, I agree. Their plan is pretty bananas. We're going to close the wormhole. But we also don't want these, like, frenemies of ours to stop us or ask questions. So we're just going to blow them up, too. Like, that's insane. <laughs> I mean, that's a case in point for, you know, the Romulans being, like, their their Vulcan cousins and being high-key dramatic. Um, right. But, like, would they think that there would be no retaliation for that? Like, don't you think Starfleet would, like, lose their shit and, like... If they found out, but, like, the Romulans had a plan, basically, to, like, cover it up, right? That I guess they were for, for trying to frame the Klingons. Or not even frame the Klingons, just, like, this is, like, a natural like... disaster, right? Like, it, this is some CIA, like, shit. Right. I guess part of me, like, um, lost track of, like, what actually the the technical things that were happening that would have caused this explosion. Like, I kind of tuned that part out. So, like, I don't know if it would be obvious that it was planted or not. Yeah. But I guess if the station's gone, you might not have anything to study. Yeah, it was like a no witnesses um, thing, basically. And then, like, yeah. the... Because I'm sure there would have been, like, a Starfleet invent. <laughs> no body, no crime, yeah. as some might yeah, say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and it's like, oh, the station was destroyed when what, when the wormhole collapsed, right? Yeah, like, it would, like, tie it together. I feel like someone on Bajor would, like, know it didn't happen at the same time. I don't know. I have, like, I have faith. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> SD's a friend of mine. Um, yeah, like, as much as, like, I, enj- as much as, like, I didn't not enjoy like the O'Brien stuff and like the time travel and like <laughs> okay every... that is so convoluted. <laughs> I didn't not enjoy. I <laughs> I can't follow. Did you enjoy it or not? I didn't not enjoy it. Like I guess I did, right? But like this was one of those like episodes for me that like you kind of like watch and then forget about, and it like rem- like it bleeds into like 
other O'Brien-centric episodes in my mind because it's very much, like, of That's a flavor fair. and, like, of a genre. Um, yeah. So I didn't not like well, I it. Mean, I just, like... Yeah. Part of me, just based on how I'm wired, it's, like, there's this cool, like, episode of The Americans but Star Trek in here between, like, the Romulan machinations, the uh, Klingon spy ring that comes in that's, like, undercover and, like, you know, investigating the, the yeah. Romulans and is on this, like, secret mission that gets uncovered that's happening it's a bit of a red herring in terms of the o'brien yeah, mystery yeah. and storyline but like yeah they like think that they might be responsible because of that one part that was like klingon ish or something yeah and then that wasn't actually what was happening yeah but i remember like watching this episode and going oh these are the most boring ass like generic klingons ever it's like there's nothing to them just like stock klingon and because i'd forgotten about the spy ring part like i remembered all the romulan stuff mm. but i forgot about the whole like they're yeah. actually like you know <laughs> the james bonds of, of the klingon empire <laughs> or like the jason borns or <laughs> the you know ethan hunts or whatever and i'm like what would you what was did they say what their agency was no i just think it, it it just the answer directly to like um, either the high yeah. council or the the chancellor Galron or Galron. Um, yeah, I want them to have like a name though, like a named group that like no one's supposed to know it exists, like like it, IMF or something, like in Mission Impossible. Dude, dude. Isn't that what it yeah, is? Yeah, the international. <laughs> They're the impossible mission it's force. Funny. Yes, which is funny because um, at my job I like deal with a company with the, that's called IMF, so it's really just funny that okay military every time contractor. every day i laugh at this <laughs> they're a trucking company <laughs> um it's just really funny yeah the klingon spies were were, were cool um i just feel like i want to give them a title like so that i can refer to them as something but maybe i'll do some research to see if that was ever um hypothesized and then the next thing we're going to do is um, I'm going to hire someone to make a score for um, the Klingon spies with all this money that I have. Just because Mission Impossible and Bourne and um, James Bond all have like theme songs. <laughs> that was the connection in my brain. I mean, what would the Jason Bourne theme song? Would it be the Moby song that plays at the end of the movies? <laughs> oh, I then maybe Jason Bourne doesn't have a theme song. I don't know. I've only seen like a few of like one or two of those. I haven't seen the like fifth one, the one where Matt Damon comes back. Um uh, I recently I earlier this year, like in an, in anticipation of Andor coming out, um, I revisited the first three and then I watched the the um <laughs> uh Rachel Vice Jeremy Renner one for the first time just because of the, the Tony Gilroy connection. And yeah, they like, yeah, they like mostly hold up. Like some of the shaky cam stuff I can like take or leave 20 years later, but uh, yeah, I get a little nauseous at some of that stuff. Yeah. The, the sec like supremacy I found was the worst for the shaky cam. And that was the first one that was like green grass because Doug Lyman directed the first one. Um, hmm. Yeah, because it's Greengrass, it's Lyman, Greengrass, Greengrass, Gilroy directs the fourth, and then Greengrass comes back for the, like, other Matt Damon one. Um, I feel like maybe I did see that one that you didn't see, because 
Was there like a memory situation? I guess they all have memory things. I, I honestly don't remember even what the premise of these movies are. I mean, definitely worth, I think, one. like, if you can write, watch it in the right, like, circumstances as not to, like, you know, give yourself vertigo or whatever. Um, they're definitely, right. I think, still worth checking right, out. Sure. And, like, especially um, in light of, you know, I know you're not as hot an Andor as, like, some folks are. But what Andor does really well on, on Disney Plus is kind of the <laughs> banality of like evil and like, you know, the, the bureaucracy of fascism. And I think that's something that the Bourne movies do really well with some of the like, you know, the CIA po- office politics and kind of, you know, the all the situation room stuff is it's like, right. They on, on one level, you can just like connect with the first, trilogy i guess if you want of born movies as just these like you know cool spy thrillers that you know james bond then responded to and killed the brazen era and then we got the daniel craig era which is a lot similar to you know the the first couple bond movies um but i think the main difference between some of the born the first three i guess or four born movies specifically the ones i've seen versus something like mission impossible or James Bond is they know the CIA is evil, <laughs> right? You know, and it's like, yeah, it, yep, it's I get you. yeah, and like you don't like I it's like there, I'm... and you like you can engage with them on like the surface level, but like when you don't, yeah, you can. They know, like Tony Gilroy knows the CIA is evil, so I got you. I do think that I probably watched some of these right before I joined Letterboxd, so I went to go look to see, and I didn't have any reviews, so I guess I do have to revisit it, because everything I watched before Letterboxd doesn't doesn't exist. <laughs> it doesn't count. Yeah, well, that was like when I was re-watching them, and again, sorry, Melissa, you might, I don't know, you can, at your discretion, cut this out or not, or, or trim it down, um, but there was like, I think I saw the first three. But, like, I remembered bits and pieces of the third, but, like, not the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's like, well, shit, it's been 20 years. Do I log this as a rewatch? Do I not? Yeah. Like, what do I do, right? For sure, so, I get it. Letterboxed problems. <laughs> uh, the amount of time I spend on that app is re- getting more and more ridiculous. Um, I'm, like, on there more than Instagram now. Anyway, so... Are we ready to discuss um, our boy and his radiation poisoning? Which I would argue is not minor. Yes, let's. So, O'Brien keeps having these temporary... Um, let me rephrase that. <clears throat> so, our, O'Brien keeps jumping into the future to see what is going to happen. And then he comes back to reality. Back to life. Um... And then collapses. I guess it's too much for him. And you hinted on this earlier that you have a certain memories of the O'Brien suffering episodes and them going a certain way. And I felt very similar because in my mind, uh, an O'Brien suffering episode also includes everyone kind of like either gaslighting him or like really not knowing what's going on. Yeah. And this episode had a little bit of that at the beginning, but then everyone kind of just like, okay, this is really happening. Like, Quark sees the other (laughs) O'Brien. So, like, the fact that another person saw that this is happening, they realized it was more than just, like, visions. 
Um, and I do think that my thoughts on it are based on that one O'Brien episode where he was like the robot droid infiltrator thing. So like everyone was gaslighting him because he was the bad guy and we didn't. He didn't even know, know that yeah. until the end. Yeah, he didn't even know that. So like I was a little I get a little stressed out at like. Like, I recently watched the movie Gaslight, and it was traumatizing, and I loved it. Don't get me wrong. And my girl, Angela Lansbury, was 18 in it. It was her first role. Lover to death. Um, but, like, honestly, there's nothing more traumatizing to me than, like, seeing someone be, like, told that what they feel is real is not real. Like, that is very scary to me. Um so I was very happy and thankful that this episode did not continue that <laughs> in that vein um, because that would have made it extremely stressful for me. I did have a really funny conversation with our my friend AJ while we were watching this episode because Quark sees that other O'Brien and is like, oh, you have more important things to worry about than my uh, hollow suite or whatever. <laughs> and it led me... I was trying to... Um, rectify this with what we know about Quark and I just didn't believe that he would care enough or he would like let O'Brien figure his own shit out before getting his money maker uh fixed and I think he and I am um, it <laughs> so I decided my headcanon is that Quark knows O'Brien's gonna prioritize the his duplicate anyway so he just goes along with it <laughs> and is like oh you have more important things to do it doesn't make any sense, but in my mind, I was like, Quark would still want his ship fixed immediately. Yeah, I mean, it's also, like, probably, like, disconcerting, too, because, like, Quark's like, wait, how does this affect <laughs> yeah. my, you know, ability for profit or whatever, whatever, right? So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. There you go. There's a lot of, I think, professionalism among the, the main staff in this episode, like, even, you know... Jadzia's like oh we're gonna get to the bottom of this and then like later O'Brien I think is talking to Miles no <laughs> he's talking to himself no O'Brien is Miles is talking to... I mean that does happen in this episode fair. so fair 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 um where Miles is talking to Jillian he's like oh if any you know I trust Dax with my you know my life and she'll get down to it and, yeah. and whatever which was kind of nice um but yeah like the O'Brien time jump stuff for me is like yeah it's like the central mystery um but it really doesn't have stakes until like the final act once like once kind of like you know the station stuff and like the romulan plot is revealed like i guess in the the middle of the episode the stakes is that like he sees himself getting killed with that booby trap thing but like i i didn't believe he was actually in danger like you know what i mean like i just think the episode yep. wants to have stakes but because we know it's a serialized tv show and like o'brien's in the main cast that he like likely has like plot armor right and i mean star trek doesn't always do that with our main cast because obviously like real world decisions um can affect like what happens on the show from a production standpoint um yeah i mean you you have um I would say Tasha Yar. Yeah, that that'd be a that'd be a good example TNG, of that. Like, so that'd, that'd be the closest to kind of yeah. That'd be the closest to like an episode like this actually having stakes. But yeah, I don't know if this one really. That's what I said. It's like I didn't not like it, but I didn't like it because it just like right. It it supposed it it theoretically had stakes, but 
it also didn't for me. Because we're you're talking about these alternate future stuff. It's like, well, obviously they're trying to stop it and change it, and they will. Because it's the middle of the season. Yeah. Or like the back half, of, like, you know. I did, I did feel that I agree with you. The stakes for me felt more real once you see O'Brien seeing his own dead body, like, in the sick bay. And I think that's when he and Julian have that whole conversation where um, he is like, how'd you let me die? And then he goes on to explain it. And um, it's just interesting that Julian is just like so calm in that scene where he's just like, oh, if you if you tell me if you tell past me to do X, Y, Z, you'll be fine. And like O'Brien is just like, I just saw my dead body. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, that that, I do feel like I might have skipped ahead a little bit, but like when we do find about out about the booby trap, um, <laughs> and then Odo O'Brien, <laughs> um, when O'Brien, Cisco, and Odo go to check it out, and Odo is like, oh, it's like an area of the habitat ring where no one's currently staying, um, and he's like, oh, why don't we put surveillance cameras? I just felt like. I was surprised that Starfleet didn't already have some sort of CCTV set up in the quarters area. I don't mean, like, in the rooms, but, like, in the hallway. Like, you know, like, you know, shit probably goes down, and I was almost impressed. I'm like, oh, they're not spying on everyone. But it just felt like it surprised me that they didn't have that already. Or at least, like, cameras that were there, like, and maybe turned off, because he... The way that Odo spoke about it, it almost felt like they had to set them up for the first time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, That felt like a little bit of, like... I mean, I'm not gonna, like, super be hung up about it, though. But, like, that felt like a little bit of, like, an inconsistency because we have seen surveillance stuff, like, filtering through, like, in the background of, like, Odo's office and stuff in the quarters of the Habitat Ring. So maybe they're just weren't in that section because it's not used and it's normally empty like who knows again it doesn't matter much like o'brien says when he's complaining about quantum mechanics or the points and whose line is it anyway they don't matter so it's yeah no i know it just amused i just oh totally fair totally fair but because you pointed it out i was like uh i feel like that's not you know it's a weird inconsistency but anyways yeah, I, I, I'm not bothered by it. It was just kind of a, la- a quick laugh. Um, there's there's a scene where Julian and Miles are sitting together talking about how Miles had just seen his dead body and how it feels to see that you die. Um, and I just really love that every scene in this episode kind of helps the Julian and Miles friendship grow yeah you i really got the impression that they have serious conversations together and talk about real feelings and emotions and things that are important in their lives and things that they don't like in their lives and it just felt like a real friendship to me and just the fact that we got this like quick this quick scene like o'brien has always been shown as one of those characters that doesn't really show his feelings a lot um you see it often when he is interacting with Keiko that like she'll be all emotion and he's like and that's part of that's part of that is the problems that with their writing of Keiko but um it just like he's like 
traditional dude that like doesn't get sad and blah blah you know they do try to put that on him a lot so it i really enjoyed that they did not do that for this episode and we got to see that it really affected him um and then he talked to his best friend about it It just made me feel good the way that they handled um fixing everything in this episode felt very much like avengers endgame to me (laughs) julian like hands o'brien that like basically a higher armband version of like the wrist bands that uh, tony stark (laughs) they even kind of look like they're similar shape hey i know (laughs) they really were uh, it just went up higher on your arm, and I was like, it didn't take, I didn't realize it till the second watching, and I was like, oh, this is a time heist, and especially because the point of that wrist thing, or armband, was to change how far into the future you go, so the fact that it was happening before, you know, you can do, it so reminded me of how um, they were testing the quantum realm at the end of um, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And then, you know, Tony makes the wristband that makes it so you can, like, pinpoint an exact location of where you want to go in the future or past or whatever it was. So it just really felt there were a lot of connections between that little bit and Endgame for me. Um, Listeners should note that I have seen Avengers Endgame 11 times, and I know that this is deranged. (laughs) I've only seen it once. (laughs) At least I haven't seen it since I know. I don't know why I'm so obsessed with it. It just makes me feel good. It's a, except, I mean, there are parts that don't, like, I don't like Natasha's ending, but anyway. Can I ask you a question about something that happens at the end of this episode? I mean, it's in the show notes, so yes, please go ahead and ask. <laughs> I was trying to be, like, natural about it, and you just blew that up. No, I'm just kidding. Blew um, up your spot. That's what I'm here for. You did. Yeah. So, Matt, how do you feel about the fact that at the end of this episode, the future O'Brien is the one that comes back? The one from three and a half hours (laughs) in the future. Uh, How do you think I feel about it? (laughs) Um, I think that you probably don't care that much. I think it's kind of silly. Like, again, it's, it's like... One of those things of, like, this era of Star Trek, right? Where it's like, oh, we'll do these big things. And, like, you know, well, O'Brien will die. And then future O'Brien will will go back. And it's like, you know, we'll have that scene where he feels like, you know, whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it wasn't necessary. I don't know. It's just like, I'm ambivalent. It's, like, kind of dumb to me. But, like, (laughs) not a big deal. I think it's a... it re- I think it's a funny workaround on Julian not being able to save Miles. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's like... fair. Like, I can get behind it, like, from that perspective. Um, right. But, yeah, it's, like, one of those things that it's, like, he just gets over. And it's never talked about again. <laughs> Once he catches up, you know, he wakes I... up the next morning and it, yeah. you know, it's all new to him. And he just has a good night's sleep and he's over it. Probably has a week or two of like jet lag. (laughs) You know how we all feel like shit after the time change for like a week. I don't know. Maybe not all of us, but the time change fucks me up every time for like a whole week. So it's probably that is how he felt. Well, and it reminded me too. I think 
can't remember if it's a first season or a second season episode of Voyager. I think it might be a first season one. So it would have been airing at around the same time. Um, mm-hmm. Where the, like there's a mirror like Voyager, some weird like sci-fi singularity mumble jumble kind of like this. And there get to be two Harry Kims. And like main Harry Kim dies. But oh, like yeah. poppy Harry Kim yep. like joins the show. And then it's like never talked about yes. again. So Yes. I, it was funny because I was I was thinking about that as well but I couldn't remember which show it was on like I didn't even remember if it was a Star Trek show so yes that is exactly what I was also thinking about and honestly I can't help myself I need to find out like how far apart these two episodes aired yeah and I don't even Um, remember what the Voyager episode is is called right but Okay, so this episode is the 24th episode of the fourth season. Oh, okay, so it's much Voyager. after. It's much after. So it was 19, May 1998. No, so, so it's several years later. Like three years later. Yeah. Okay. I feel better about that, actually. You would hate for them to have done that in the same year. <laughs> well, I mean, like, their writing staffs are, like, their different rooms and their different, sh- like, you know, like, it's possible. But... They probably checked with each other a tad, I would, as- I would assume. Just to make sure, like, there weren't too many things that were the same. That's how I would have done it. We'll just say that. Oh, one more thing. And this is not, like, related to the plot so much. But I very much enjoyed the bananas. Like, everyone is in this bar brawl at Quark scene. Um, I thought that was really funny. Everyone is fighting. And, like, one of the O'Briens helps the other O'Brien. <laughs> like, <laughs> Basically, is like duck or whatever. I don't remember what he said, but like it was just really funny. Um, and like I don't even remember. Oh, because there was this whole other like plot line about how Quark was supposed to keep the Klingons out of the um, bar because the Romulans were there and they didn't want them interacting with each other because you know some reasons that I get into in, in a later section. Um, but yeah, so. I just enjoyed, I enjoy a big fight <laughs> in a show when it's kind of silly. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Well, Elise, I don't know about you, but we've been recording for a bit, and I've been drinking my coffee, and I'm feeling a little dehydrated, so I think I need an Altair Water Thirst Quencher. So are you thirsting for anyone this week? I have been sipping on my Diet Coke throughout this episode, so I am not actually thirsting over anyone. Fair enough. Fair enough. But I will say that kind of on the opposite end, um, not to like unhorny this, (laughs) but like when the Romulans are talking to Kira and mention that they think Odo has feelings for her, I thought that was weird. It was out of nowhere. It was uncomfortable. And especially... For us viewers, you know, obviously Kira doesn't know that yeah. Odo um, thinks that he t- or thought that he had told her and then found out he had not. Um, it just felt like I just hated this. <laughs> like, I didn't think this any of these lines needed to. And I'm not like against them being together if that's what both of them want. Like, obviously, Kira is pretty oblivious um, in that regard, I would say. And, uh, and um, you know, her boyfriend just died, so... But um, I I just didn't like this. Yeah. It just felt like icky to me. Yeah. 
What about it's you? Somewhat related, unrelated. Like again, it's more of like oh. a, a competency, um, sort of like professional sort of competency thirst, professional thirst. Um, at one point, Miles is in the infirmary and Kira goes in because she's basically there to find Cisco and like talk to Cisco about whatever work yeah. thing. And then, but first she goes in. And she goes, "Oh, how are you feeling, Chief?" Blah 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 blah, and is very like, you know, sympathetic and compassionate. And then. Once she gets through that, it's, like, immediately, like, code switches and, like, her, like, posture and voice changes to go into, like, professional, like, mode to talk to Cisco about work stuff. And I'm like, oh, you can just switch like that. That could be fun. Um, (laughs) Not to out myself or, like, try to make this a thing, but, like, I'm, that's how I am at work. Like, legitimately, like, I will, like, put on the niceties a little bit, but then I, like, immediately, I'm like, okay, I need to get my work thing done. So it's kind of, I read that, you said that, and I was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> That's funny, though. I, every time I do it, I feel like I was rude, and I just usually don't care. <laughs> and what's your candidate, anyway. least for the most Star Trek thing of the episode? Um, the Klingons are heavily racially profiled in this episode, and I do not like it. Um, I just think acting like they're always crazy for no reason is not cool. Especially since the Klingons, um, are, especially in this show, are mostly brown and black. And so that just feels Not great, Bob. Yeah. And then secondly, this one was kind of mostly a joke, but just Odo being like, I always investigate Quark. <laughs> He's always on the usual suspects list. <laughs> yeah. What about you? The thing with this episode is I think it's probably the most Star Trek thing we've had in a very long time. Like the time jumping, the ship and or station getting destroyed in a possible future that we like you need to avoid and watching the station or whatever explode is supposed to like invoke these instant high stakes that we're trying to prevent. O'Brien's suffering. The episode ends on a joke. We have a plot point surrounding the fact that the Romulans use a, a singularity to power their warp drive, which I think was a plot point in a TNG episode. And finally, and this might be my personal favorite, during the bar fight, we see O'Brien do that like two-handed punch kind of on the back Kirk Fu move. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Kirk Fu. That's great. I had not heard that term before. I think there might even be a book, something about Kirk Fu, like a guide to Kirk Fu or something like that. Like a <laughs> I wonder I wonder if that was one of the programs that Neo learns when he's plugged <laughs> in to like the constructs i don't yeah i don't know how <laughs> how helpful that would be in in a matrix type situation um it would be very comedic so obviously <laughs> i mean helpful. there's that those um, movies don't have a ton of comedy in them <laughs> nor should they honestly it's me um, yeah. hi everybody greets all right elise until next time where can folks find more of you on the internet you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at chicken double underscore tendy. And you? Yeah, you can find me on Letterboxd at, at MattyHugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can catch us together on Twitter and Instagram at PodRace. And you can also email us at PodRace at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice. Thank you to DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And also thank you to our editor, Melissa. And until next time, computer, 
and program. Bye.